Welcome to See It, Decree It, Be It, the inspiring podcast hosted by Chanel Swain. Join us on a journey of inspiration and transformation as we celebrate the power of resiliency. Yes, yes, we are. There we go. There we go. Now it's official. So again, thank you, gentlemen, for showing up. I appreciate you for all uh, both of you are doing in the community and have been doing for a long time, Mr. Shabazz. Um, I'm so honored to have you here with us. This is your girl, Chanel, and I will just say today is... My first podcast, and I'm so excited. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I really felt it would be important to highlight a topic that's important to all of us. Um, The name of my company is Manifest My Blessing, and our tagline is See It, Decree It, Be It. And my goal, my lifelong goal, is to always encourage those who whose path I happen to cross or who I connect with to inspire them to see it, decree it and be it. And we can't do that when we have black men killing each other. And it's such an important topic. It's been a a topic that you have covered brother Shabazz for a long time on uh, your journey. And I thank you for that. I've been a a guest on your show many times, and let me just properly introduce uh, who we have here today with us. We have the honorable, legendary, legend, Wanique Shabazz, Chief Operator and Operations Director over at WRFG FM 89.3 Radio in Atlanta, Georgia. He is many, many, many things. Wow, I mean, your bio is so so long. We be here till tomorrow. <laughs> you don't do that. You don't do that. Me reading all of this off, but let me just say, this is a brother who I've known personally. I consider to be um, a wonderful mentor. He's been a mentor to me for many many years. Um, I've again been a host on his program, and actually will be a, ho- a guest on his program tonight. Yes, um, hey, that, that was a trade off. Yes, yes, yes. My pleasure. And um, this brother has done a lot for our community and really is a power has been a powerful voice in um, advocating for self love of black people, you know, and unity of black people. And so when I reached out to you and asked you to be a part of this, I really meant it when I said I can't do this conversation without you. I don't care if it's just you and I like I know that you are a man who walks the walk and talks the talk. You're like, you, you've really been on this uh, crusade for a long time on this journey um, of empowering Black people. And I just thank you so much for that. And I really want to speak to you about it. And um, so thank you for showing up. 
And our next um, young brother that we have with us, his name is Brian Ellison. He's a successful entrepreneur from Atlanta, Georgia also. And um, he owns several successful businesses. He's a obviously a Black man. And he's a family man. He's a married man. He has a beautiful family. And I know he's been um, directly impacted by this topic. We actually have a, a mutual friend who was murdered by the hands of another black man. Um, and, and that's actually how I know this brother. Um, but I would just say thank you, Brian, for what you do, because you are also a, a positive brother. Um, and, and I just thank you for showing up and being open and willing to talk about this um, this topic, this very sensitive topic. And I also know it, it became aware to me that you also have a family member um, who was murdered, a, a, a child, 14 yes. years old, yep. um, who was murdered. And I, I, I give my condolences to you and thank your you, family and you. your prayers. And I guess we would just, I, I would like to start it by asking first, how has black, what, what do you, how has black on black crime impacted you as a person, as a black man? You said me? Yes, Brian, I wanted to start with you uh, and just ask you from your personal experience as a young black man, how has. Well, I, um, as I, <clears throat> excuse me, as I grew up in Atlanta, um, you know, it wasn't as bad. My dad, my family, um, they all went to college and stuff. So I didn't have like a street upbringing. My dad went to Morehouse. Uh, <clears throat> he actually works for a radio station or, or he volunteers at a radio station. I'm not sure if it's the same um, radio station as the other gentleman um, works at. But um, but anyway, so when as I grew up, you know, it just got a little bit more uh, violent for me in terms of just my surroundings and my life and the people that I surrounded myself with. So, uh, you know, in terms of getting into trouble, uh, trying to sell weed and trying to just live this street lifestyle was something that I kind of chose to do and uh, just kind of with my surroundings, like I said. And um, and so, you know, like I said, as I grew up, it became something that, you know, started out as something fun that we were just doing as kids. Then people started dying and going to jail for life. Then we had to decide where whether we were going to keep doing this or whether we were going to try to do something different. And uh, like I say, most of my friends didn't make it. But, you know, I kind of I was blessed enough to uh, decide to start doing some different things. And that's when I met you. I was trying to get into the tattoo shop industry and um, smoke with somebody who uh, helped me get some different options uh, from what I was seeing every day. And so he definitely was a positive influence who uh, pushed me, like I say, to do legal things. And um, and so that's how I got out of, uh, you know, selling weed and uh, doing illegal stuff every day. So, you know, um, violence, but um, he ended up dying or being killed um, due to people breaking into cars in the area of his uh, shop. After I left the tattoo shop, he continued to own it by himself. So, uh, so yeah, he, um, he ended up getting, uh, killed, unfortunately. How did I, how did that, how did his death impact you? 
Well, it definitely impacted me. He was a uh, he was a mentor. He was uh, I, I would say my best friend. You know, I was at his house the day before. So um, when it happened, it definitely crushed me. You know, more than any other death that I've ever experienced. So that was 2019, and um, and yeah, it definitely it definitely crushed me. Um, you know, and, and affected the way I um I tried to hold it in a little bit, and then I ended up kind of internalizing it and then blowing up on someone else that I shouldn't have and um you know so that's how I handled it and then you know with time I've been able to kind of uh you know um just kind of accept it and try to uh move on and and just mostly in my life I just try to live non-violently and try to um have some sort of conflict resolution communication and things like that is what I was, you know, trying to explain to my nephew, who um, is a whole different story. We'll talk about him later, probably. But, um, but yeah, so Smoke was definitely someone who, um, you know, who really, who really had a, a good impact on not only just me, but a lot of young people in the community. And, uh, yeah, he definitely was taken too soon. Yes, for sure. And I remember that when that happened in my, well, when I found out, because I found out months later, but definitely a loss for the community. This was a brother who came from the streets, who changed his life, who um, became known in the industry for being somewhat of a celebrity tattoo artist and had a, a huge following and built a, a great following and a beautiful business um, up on Camp Creek. And um, I remember always going in there to stop and, and speak with him. But brother um, Shabazz, could you speak to this a little bit? What do you, because this is what we're talking about, the internalized racism. Like you just said, you internalize that pain. And I believe a lot of brothers are walking around with um, a lot of emotion, deep emotion, right. deep pain right. that, right. you know, then becomes misplaced. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes towards another person that looks like them right you right. know what would you say I about that with, i got into a fight he was a black person you know and it just you know it was just mis misguided anger mm-hmm. what would you say about that brother shabazz well there's a lot to say to that i i think it's important to really understand the terms that we use when it comes to these type of Uh, I, I'm, I'm tempted to really put it into, into context and perspective because internalized racism is one thing, internalized colonialism uh, is another, you know, and the, the level of self-hate is coming from us really feeling the frustration of disempowerment, uh, if I may say it that way. And it's unfortunate that a lot of our brothers who are now resorting to respond to that and I say more react than respond because respond means don't response means to respond be responsible mm-hmm. or able to respond so we feel that we're at a point where we're not able to respond so we react and we react with that which is closest to us and we attack that which is closest to us and and that's you know because it's easier it's convenient and there's less consequences All you right. see when we when we talk about making the internal decision to, to, to express the sense of frustration that comes with being disempowered, then we find ourselves lashing out, which is really a lash in, if you will, of ourselves because we really are disempowered. 
and it is designed to implode. It's designed to ensure that we depopulate ourselves, if I, if I can say it in that way. And it just goes back to um, the Ma'afa or the slave, the slave experience. So that when we were captured and we were kidnapped and those of us who were here that were taken in, under captivity and made to hate each other and really trained and to, to ensure that they didn't have to do as much work as possible. And I say that on the heels of what happened in Memphis recently. Absolutely, absolutely. We, we have a, a semblance of what called, is called power or the colonial power or the power of the oppressor coming through the policing agency or police terrorism, uh, where the power of being able to enact that sense of um, anger and pain on ourselves is relentless, you know, and, and this 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 just the the brutal nature of that murder of the of the brother uh in Memphis by five policy enforcers or police officers, you know, who are actually colonial guardians to safeguard the elite. And so when we get those positions, we don't put ourselves in a position to really truly offset some of that which could be, again, as you call it, internalized racism or internalized uh, colonialism, uh, where it's now neocolonialism, where we're now looking at ourselves as being the enemy. You know, and uh, it's, it's unfortunate because, obviously, I remember that case of the brother being, uh, who was a renowned uh, tat um, artist, because you know, that's what they are, you know, who uh, found himself in the middle of rage, the rage that comes from our streets, and they're also within that context, as you know. And let me apologize first. I want to thank you for inviting me. That was, that was <laughs> you know, I'm really pleased to be on this platform with you. I'm really honored. You know, once I once you got that, got that call and it was from you, I knew I had to respond uh, in an appropriate form because obviously, you know, the work that you've been doing lends to all this discussion, you know, and the work that you've been doing with end molestation. All this is a part of that internalized hatred and anger. And, doing to ourselves or becoming what we detest, if I may. Right. Indeed. But I think that, you know, uh, on a larger scale of things, uh, when we look at it from the vantage point of how we can rectify, because I know this is a solution-based program, right? See it, decree it, and be it, right? Absolutely. I think it's important for us to utilize the, the, the platforms we have to enlighten, to edify, to empower each other, to know that there's no win in us killing each other. Indeed. And and I'm not saying this to advocate anything. Check how much how much of the oppressive society do we uh, respond or re- respond to when we know that there's a whole lot of sy- uh, systemic or systematized racism. Absolutely built, built in. It's Absolutely built in the fabric of this country and the history of this country. Absolutely, and that was you know you you kind of touched on that. Well, you touched on that a great deal, really, which was going to be my, my next question to you was what role has social construct played in this complex problem? And moreover, you know, I want to have a space where we just don't, like you say, come and talk about the issue, but be solution-based. Like- Today's episode is sponsored by In Child Molestation, Inc., a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to combat child sexual abuse through education and empowerment. Like We want to focus on what the goal is. Where do we go from here? How do we as a people come together and stop being outraged if you're not going to do something? 
Like we have to find a way to channel our energy in a way that's productive for us and that's useful for us. You know, believe me, uh, those brothers who, you know, I think who, who committed this crime or, or allegedly committed this crime, nobody's going to be marching for, for them. Uh, the Police Lives Matter or whatever that uh, whole the blue, movement the, the was. Blue, the, blue the, the Blue Lives Matter, they're not going to be right. because they're Black men. Right. They're Black men. And and while we understand the whole um, history behind the how the police force was created. Mm, that's right. Right? Slave catchers. The overseer. Right, the slave catchers. Officer, right? right they we, were slave catchers. Right. We understand that. Mm-hmm. I think the issue, um, of course, it highlights, this issue in Memphis highlights um, two very important issues. The issue of police brutality and also the issue of Black-on-Black violence. You know, it's like that um, highly... Uh, publicized killing of the of the young rapper takeoff back in mm-hmm. November mm-hmm. was floating all around the internet right and it was almost what I saw was so disturbing because it was almost like people was enjoying it because they were this was things that this was something they were watching a very graphic video and sharing right and I, I went on social media uh, yesterday, and I noticed a lot of people posting, campaigning for people not to watch mm. this video of this young man being um, murdered. And it really highlighted for me the issue that we have in our society where people actually want, it, we would become so immune to seeing this type yeah. of heinous act. These people actually, we, yes. That now people actually crave that. They actually want to see it. Right. Um, well, if I may, yeah. It's absolutely. interesting. There's, there's a point where um, uh, Dave Chappelle does a, a skit in one of his stand-ups, and he talks about that when he asks one of his audience members how old how old did they were, or he was. I think it was a he. And he says, how old are you? And um, they responded, some young age, of probably 18, 20, or whatever, but in that range. And he said, literally, you don't know nothing. Uh, he says that uh, there was a time where before I knew who was on the phone, I had to answer it. <laughs> Nowadays, everything is displayed. You know who's calling, you know when they call, all that kind of stuff. There's no call waiting. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no, when last time you heard a busy signal? You know, what is that? What is that? I don't even know what that is, a busy right. signal. But right. his point that he made to that, he was like saying that we've become so desensitized. Yeah, that you are so there is so much overload of 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 sensory uh, infusion of trauma, drama, and everything that comes with that. To now, when you see something, you're not even reacting to it or responding to it because you, it's normalized, right? So what you're saying to your point, Chanel, is that we're at a point where when when people are saying don't watch it. Obviously, he says, don't think of don't don't think of a rhinoceros. You know, it's hard to say don't do something. You know, because the mind works. So I now they want to go see it even Absolutely. more. You so know. it really encourages it more than discourages it. And the people who say don't watch it, they already watched it. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like they heard about it and say don't watch it. They watched it and then say, oh, you shouldn't watch it. Correct. So I think that's kind of a little contradictory in terms of what's happening. But I also because I had a I had a, a message come to me earlier on about the same topic from a brother who I used to 
uh, worked with in New York, and he's in Carolina now. And he and he said to me, "Did I see the did, see it yet?" I said, "No, I haven't even seen it yet." Yeah. Because I understand the trauma that comes with that. And I know sometimes it's utilized to put us in a position where we have fear of moving through society because we find ourselves being gravitated towards or magnetizing that which is to be the victim. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying this is not true because we are victimized. And we're very much, you know, uh, targeted and victimized by the society at large because of what you stated because of the slave catchers and the whole history of the police force in itself, why it was even formulated, or when, what, what, what was the origins of, of, of having uh, an armed uh, civilian population that goes around under the guise of enforcing laws, you know, which is really policy. That's why they call them police officers, they're policy overseers or policy officers. But the point that I was going to make that the, the, the conversation was had as to whether or not these type of uh, of, of public lynchings and public beatings and weapons is a legacy that comes from the way of terrorizing us as to not wanting to interact with them because they now become the threats to our very existence, our life force. And so when we when we find ourselves looking at these particular incidences, like, you know, the same goes back to when uh, the brother was killed in California. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, Rodney King, Rodney King, and mm-hmm. he was, and, and they watch, and you watch it over and over again. And even in the end of that, clear evidence that they brutalized them and did a lynching and had him hooked to something like a lynch or a whip or whatever they had him a rope and was whipping him senseless. They, after the all said and done, got exonerated and got acquitted. <laughs> Can you imagine seeing that brazen of disregard for human life or humanity? And still, the only thing that comes across as being a victory is that he gets a, a, a awarded some form of monetary amount that you think that, that, that they feel because that's all we want is money, right? So when we start getting those things, and with with uh, which our brother, uh, uh, attorney at war, Alton Maddox, H, uh, says that it's really hush money. That money that you get paid for civil damages from those type of brutal things because of no community up, upheaval or community rebellion is hush money. So the, so the immediate family comes out and tells everybody be cool, it's okay, you know, don't do violence. And I'm not saying that I, we should advocate violence, but we should understand that the natural response to anything of such injustice is to respond in kind. That's a natural instinct. No, no, no animal on the planet or no species on the planet doesn't not have a built-in response, a defense mechanism to something that's going to threaten their very existence, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, but when we when we start seeing these things, the historical context of those things have been to, to keep us suppressed and keep us repressed, and then we walk around with this sense of uh, unbelongingness, right? We don't want to really truly push the envelope because we don't have the power to respond to something like that. So I think that when we talk about that, going back to our community, which is really the crux of what you're saying and the theme of this particular conversation, is to how we get reconnected to our community and how we start speaking to the youth. This whole idea of generational disconnect or a generational gap or something like that comes from us having the inability to communicate with our own, Indeed. our offspring. Those are our children. So we have to become more and more uh sensitive because like I said we've been desensitized. When I want to go back to what I was saying about David Chappelle. He he talked about a time when 
you were in class and a TV was rolled into the room. <laughs> I remember <laughs> those days. I, I, I Googled about it. I don't remember. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. <laughs> I know you don't remember. Maybe that. you can tell me about that. Yeah. <laughs> but a TV used to be rolled into the room and you watched it. And, they, and at the time, this TV was rolled into the room. They watched the space shuttle. Remember the space shuttle? Yeah. Where the seven astronauts went up. I remember and it that. Just, it just obliterated in midair. And it was clear that there was no, there was no one surviving that. But it was a trauma that was hidden. And uh, 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 that was given and put on the uh, the youth at that time, but they had, they, had, they they sent them home, and they had to now do some type of uh, what they call that you know when after trauma in schools or public places you have to have all these type of um, psycholo- psychological evaluations evaluations of yeah. people how they're doing and all that. But I say it to say, and nowadays, as to Dave Chappelle's point, there's, there's so much going on. So many uh, sens- sensory uh, uh, overloads that there's no real response to it. As you and I, who are still a little sensitive <laughs> to things, really know that something needs to happen. With them, it becomes normal. Violence on videos, sexual abuse, sexual violence, all that is natural. On the gadgets, and it's an intentional way of keeping us from being self-determined and self-engaged um, uh, or self-involved in helping our community. It's a huge distraction from what's really going on. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I just really, I long for um, really clear instruction and really clear uh, continual efforts to do something about that, this very issue, because it is, you know, a lack of mental health resources in our community Absolutely. is a big, big, big deal. You know, I'm a registered nurse now, you know. Oh, man, well, congratulations. I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> and that's fitting. It's just fitting. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that really um, inspired me to go into this field was just that the lack of mental health support that we have in our communities is is something that really, I believe um, we need, we desperately need, we need really to organize movements around that issue, Mm -hmm. around um, gaining resources, um, because a lot of other communities have these things in place, but we, we know collectively that um, black communities or communities of color have more crime, have more sexual abuse, have more domestic violence, have, uh, you know, we know all of these issues exist. However, when it comes time to allocate funds and resources to these communities, um, we are always last in line. So, oh, right. yes, and I just feel like that. Well, is- I, think, I think it's an important point you make, though. I'm sorry, Chanel. I just want to make sure. Yes, we have more that's recognized as being untreated. Absolutely. Right? Because this is much as one of the things that Gregory always said back in the page, that we kill, you kill where you live. You kill those who are closest to you. So that's, that's not a, a black on black is not a, a phenomenon, something that's a, you know, it's not, it's not an anomaly when it happens, when, when wherever you live, you kill, right? Mm-hmm. And those closest to you. Then of course, there's more safeguards in place to check the behavior based on the resources that you just mentioned, because now you have ways to offset that, you know, or if you control the media, you don't get the stories 
Indeed. As we are, as our stories are put on the front to, to further disparage our capacity to be civil as if this is a norm for our community. And you well know it's not true. Our community is as well placed and, 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 and stable in areas that we know. There are parts and pockets that are totally unkept. unkept. But for the most part, the, the idea of what the media does, the corporate media, that is designed to, if it bleeds, it leads in terms of stories, right? Go into our communities to, to highlight the worst parts of our community. Whereas you just stated, myself, yourself, and others, you know, who you invited onto this panel, you know, know well that they're not, you know, uh, the stereotype or stigmatized to be that which is the problems of our community. And we do have them. And we have to come together as our community is to be and not be afraid of ourselves. See, most of the things that we, I mean, I used to live in, in, in when I first, before I got to the land, I was living in Brooklyn, you know, in uh, Brownsville, Brooklyn, for, uh, to, for the record. And I, I was listening to our brother earlier. He was talking about, and I think we lost them. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't see him on as well. But um, I was listening to him talk about the way the community has been in the streets and how wild it was, and he survived the streets. I think I'm paraphrasing what he stated. And I was thinking about my own life and what I can say I survived because it was the same level of interactive destruction, self-destruction. I mean, you can find it. You know, it wasn't like, you know, oh, I'll be living in the glory days. You know, no, those were the days that, you know, it was really set up in pockets of gangs. You know, the gangs were organized and they were very much, you know, localized to areas. And there was a, there was a, a decree, there was a sense of um, respect and decree about what happened in the community. You didn't go around snatching pocketbooks, snatching chains, all that things, because, the, I mean, you had semblances of that, but it wasn't based on the, uh, the self-destructive behavior of the community as you see today. It was still a code of conduct. It was a code which, of conduct, exactly. Right. So this is part of where we are, that the, the, the we have been disheveled into this type of um, uh, uh, self-hatred. And this is part of what you've been speaking to, the self-hatred that's so deeply embedded in our psyche. When you talk about mental health, is that we don't, and, and, you, and I'm, again, you hit on a great point about the fact that we are in denial about ourselves, our mental health. We don't go to psychiatrists. We don't go to have therapy. No. And this is the advantage that an uncivilized society, such as the one that we live in. Right, right. What they do to offset some of the, their beast, beast or savagery is to have these type of clinical setups or clinician setups so they can be able to monitor and regulate some of the mental dis, uh, uh, um, uh uh, anger and anguish and energy that they do in terms of what happens. Serial killers and all that, we can go back and look at the difference in terms of disparity relative to, uh, if you will, million dominant communities versus million recessive communities. And we know well that they have their lot of it. You know, Absolutely. and there's a certain stereotypical way of looking at what they do and what we do versus crime. You know, and how that looks in terms of blue collar crime and what they, how, how much suicide is in, you know, I mean, Power, the power dynamic is different, though, right? It's the power dynamic that shows the difference in terms of how things are displayed. You know, but when you look at it from the standpoint of knowing that the mental issues in our community are pervasive, because a lot of that is based on the overt racism of the systemic racism of the society in which we live. Absolutely. A lot of it is the residue of that. And a wonderful word that you used, which when I misspoke, untreated. Mm -hmm. Untreated is the word because, you know, when things left untreated, issues left untreated, it becomes 
a cancer. It becomes, you know, all disease left untreated progresses. And, you know, this is one that our society um, really needs to deal with. And I think as a Black woman, I have Black sons. I have Black brothers. I have a Black dad. I have Black uncles. I have Black men in my life who I love. You're one of them. And it's important that this matters. That young man who lost his life in Memphis matters to me. Mm-hmm. That could be my nephew, my son, my, you know. So this is an issue. I just think that when we witness these types of common occurrences, that we, we, we just really need to wake up right now. I think, I hope that this, you know, young men die every day, I think was grabs a lot of attention now, even in this particular case is we used to seeing black men kill each other, mm. but this time we happen to see five of them, mm. you know, so it's the shock of seeing five of them, you know, we, we used to seeing one black man kill one black man. That's an everyday common occurrence. In unfortunately. Across the, unfortunately, you know, mm-hmm. and at some point we have to say enough is enough. Like as a people, we have to come together and form a, a, a code of conduct and you consequences, know, and consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and of course, from the revolutionary standpoint, we go back to the Black Panther Party and those uh, organizations that were not just there to try to defend things that were over. No, they were there helping to build community. Free breakfast, you know, and, and things of that nature. The WIC program, right? Right. The, and, yeah. and, and, and you say that, but you don't hear that as being part of the historical reference point. Right. They never they never referenced the fact that it was really a movement about community building. Absolutely. And not sustainable about community. Sustainable, sustainable community. absolutely you know, community and, building. And, and that's why I call in this idea of uh, mostly what we what we got to working with um, Sister Chanel is the is the revisionism. See, we have to work against revision because people will take the history that was real and clear and make it something totally different as if the so-called governing programs came out of the kindness and generosity and the benevolence of their heart. No, that programs were forced upon the government based on the community organizational galvanization and, and, and putting together that which was a, a demand that was a right to the people who lived in that community because all communities which pay into the system, taxes or whatever the case may be, have the right to, de- to determine themselves and to protect that which is their immediate environment and surroundings. There's no reason why, and I mean environment, to the degree of how well it's kept based on the refuge and the garbage and the things that we see that we are left to just float around like it's okay, like if something's going to dissolve, like it's like it's some kind of uh, biogradable substances, you know, and, and, and you see some of the mental health issues is where you can just throw something on the ground, not we're wondering where it's going to go. Right, and right. I'm not saying here to be self-critical to the degree that I'm making a, a, a judgment about it. It's a reality based on the how to, we call it a, 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 a mindlessness, yes. right? It's an absence of mindfulness, paying attention to the basic stuff, you know, the basic yes. things that are happening in our community. So we can start. How do we start? Based on what you're doing here, which is a, another part of a slew of those who are doing this work that's using these platforms and taking the advantage of what it is to get a message out based on your activism. Cause you're an activist, been an activist as long as I know you. And I want to say 
It may seem to be going into 20 odd years. (laughs) I know, right? I mean, that's amazing to know from the time you were here and the time that you came through and the time you went through the process of reminding us and speaking loudly. I thought it was a voice in the night because I didn't really hear anybody overtly speaking about molestation of children and how pervasive it is in our communities. And what that means for those of us who are suppressing that and repressing that, that's part of the internalized anger. Indeed. Welcome to See It, Decree It, Be It, the inspiring podcast hosted by Chanel Swain. Join us on a journey of inspiration and transformation as we celebrate the power of resiliency. The people who hurt people hurt people, right? That's one of the cliches, right? Indeed. That's part of what we're working with. We have to come to a point where everything is based on, I think you, you might be right on it, is that we start from mental health. Absolutely. How I believe stop that. Black men from killing black men. There's no way if I see you as myself, I'm going to kill myself. And that's what I'm talking about because if, if you, and that's why a shift in our mindset, our mind, mind, our mind, it all starts from there. That's the foundation. And if the foundation, is 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 ruined is 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 contaminated nothing good is going to grow out of that and so our mindset um is very important and that's the foundation you know when you see yourself when i i know i'm a i'm a woman there's no way in the world i can go out and kill another woman another person intentionally now self-defense or something like that i'm putting in a position when i'm forced that's a different thing but to be in a space even where i'm so angry that i can't control myself i i I have no no tools no no internal fortitude no governance no no self-governance right where i can control myself i let somebody else control me absolutely or a situation control me to the degree that I do something that's going to hurt me. Right. Because me hurting you is going to hurt me. I got got to take myself with you. Ultimately, you know, and anger is one of those, again, mental issues, right? Mental uh, health issues, the emotional issues go right into mental issues. You know, the idea of anger, anger has to be first felt before you can put it on anybody else. You have to have self uh, irritation. You have to have the the level of discomfort that comes with being hateful of yourself. Because how much, how much anger, how much self-hate could be in the well that I can feel okay for saying that you should no longer have an existence on this, on this dimension when I didn't bring you into this existence? That's the difference between you and with children and you say, I think you have both your hands, I'll take you out. But when it comes to the, the external, the larger uh, community, you know, we have to determine whether or not we have enough love, self-love to override some of the things that we know are inherent from our 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 um, sojourn and our condition and our experience. And if we don't have a retrospect of history to support us, then we're never going to understand how you have uh, this level of control where I say, I'm going to take something as we've been dealing with all the time that's going to allow you not to exist at the behest of your family and all the rest of people who look and who love you. You know, but see, what do we do? How do we do that in the context of what you're providing us? And this platform is, a, I'm telling you, it's amazingly a beautiful concept. I love, you know, again, I love see it, 
degree being. You know, I, I think you might have got, the, got that from me or something. I think, ah, you know what? Hey, you know, I know, no, the wisdom of it, the wisdom is, is in my flavor. You know, and you know that's part of, you know, because why we have to know how to affirm what we are going to change because that's what the word sound does for us. We have to have a script, have a narrative that supports us. We have to have what is our model? You know, what is our af- af- affirmation? affirmation that we have to look at underscore and i think that what you're doing here with this particular platform is is tremendous to, to make that happen thank you i appreciate that and and really you're right it's about having a strong sense of self a strong sense of self when you value yourself yeah when you that's value called, that's yourself that's self-esteem, self-esteem right indeed because the word esteem is the past part of the word estimate yes. how we estimate ourselves What's the value Absolutely. that we have when we look at ourselves and see ourselves in the in, in the body of in the person of another one that looks just like you? And I'm saying to you, it can, it can run across the whole main spectrum. But when it comes to your first thing is first, is the first law of nature, right? Self-preservation. That doesn't mean your individual selfish way of surviving, but you must have a plan for yourself as well so you can be able to extend that to others. Because all the self-work that you have done, we all have to do self-work because a lot of us are victims or, or, or have experienced trauma or have been on the receiving end of somebody perpetrating you know, their level of mental illness on us, whether it be through administration, whether it be through just abuse, uh, emotional, you know, whatever. We have to determine how we rebuild ourselves and override some of that so we can have the unconditional love for family, for friends for loved ones that can support us to make sure we build a community that sustains us. Otherwise, we're under self-destruction and we're doing the work of those who don't want us to be present anyway. So we become the unhidden hand of that which is already plotting our demise. Because why? Because we look different, because of our appearance, you see? And then because we have no awareness, then our appearance leaves us gullible and, and, and vulnerable to the abuse. Uh, You say that so beautifully. You say that so beautifully. That's, listen, what you just said is going to be a beautiful clip that I hope goes viral for the world to see, because that is everything. That is everything. And then it, like you said, it beautifully ties into um, mental health. Mm -hmm. It really all starts there because, you know, you, you look at some people, you see some people who have experienced great trauma, Right or great loss, or have really um, unpleasant experiences, who actually grow to be resilient people, who do great things, right? But when you have people who have a low capacity, a low, a low threshold for pain, or even not even have the mental, again, fortitude to navigate through that maze um, of emotional distress, um, that's where you get the lashing out. And, and, you know, I believe that mental health really is a pervasive problem in our community. I believe that there are a lot of undiagnosed illnesses um, running rampant mm-hmm. in our communities. And I believe it is the, the culprit for many people, um, mm-hmm. Uh, demise really and um, cause for their disregard for life. And, and I think you, 
when you said the value, how you value yourself, I think it's also having a sense of self-worth or a sense of purpose, right? A sense of absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 all it's a it's all a piece of the pie. If you don't have a reason for being or don't know that there's something for you to do uniquely, even in the experience of trauma, you know, and the drama that you have to experience could be a fuel in an organic way of uh um <clears throat> in, invigorating a higher purpose, right? You know, and I say that, you know, because I know your story and I know what, what, what motivated you was to say, I was going to end the cycle, you know, the cycle of dysfunction, the cycle of pain, the cycle of mental illness, you know, by being what? That which is an example of my own experience. Because a lot of times you can people pick up something and you can, have, you can be purposeful, but is it really full of a purpose? Absolutely. You see, because the purpose, as the word implies, is a pure possession, my purpose, pure possession of your life path. And coming back to give back, to be a servant, to be of service, to bring back and say that I'm no, I'm not going to sit around. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a, 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 a basking in the energy of my uh, trauma, you know, or, Indeed. or, or my, you know, I'm going to take I'm no that. victim, That's you right. know, I right. am no victim. Absolutely. You know? and, and, and I said, and, and people say, sometimes we say that and people say that. They try to say it in the, in, the, in the dismissal of the reality that they've been victimized. Absolutely. But when you talk about I'm not a victim, like you just stated in the affirmation way, because you're not going to let that be your launch. Absolutely. Because you could do that as a choice. It's a free will choice for you to say, I'm the one walking around with all these issues in my tissues, you know, and, and using that as a basis for my story. That's how I tell my story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason why I can't be functional or I can't interact with somebody or I can't continue to be in a way that's normal is because I'm operating off the trauma of somebody else's, you know, um, perpetration. Indeed. And that's great. That is beautifully said. And I tell people all the time that, and particularly when I speak with people who have been, um, who have a victim mindset, because I come in contact, as you know, with many people who have been abused because of the work that I do. And I always encourage them to not focus on their history, but focus on your destiny. And really, it really, the reason why I can say boldly, I'm not a victim. I I had a bad experience, but I'm not, I don't, I don't wear that label. I don't accept that label as being a victim. What that did for me was became, uh, it highlighted for me, a pervasive problem that's going on. You know, it highlighted for me. Like it didn't how, start with you. It didn't start with you. <laughs> you just you know, in that flow of everything that's been happening for many, many, many centuries. Indeed. You know, and, and that's part of the denial too, though, Chanel, is that we don't want to deal with the fact that this is something that our community, particularly the Melanin Dominant community of people of African descent, we really truly have this don't say nothing, be quiet, you know, don't, you know, because we already are ashamed of our history relative to slavery and the Maafa. So a lot of our shame comes from us having to deal with an overt system that was in place that was legally designed to keep us from developing and growing if not for the betterment of the larger society. So most of what we do and have done is to work on behalf of or for the betterment of uh, those who were the captors or the enslavers or inherited the enslavement. Because a lot of these so-called wealth, wealthy individuals that walk around talking about they got billions of dollars, they didn't get that just because they showed up. They got that because of the entitlement they had with the privilege of that which was the recessiveness of their skin. Right. And that and 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 they utilize and some of them even heard it through their bloodline, you know, from the what from the chain of slavery that was happening in that era where it was two hundred years of what unpaid servitude, 
Absolutely, absolutely. Right? And, and and now we're looking at a position where we're talking about reparations. Well, that's a that's a large aspect. But the right. internal, what you said, this is clear. The internalized mm -hmm. reparations is what we need. If we don't repair ourselves, no one can repair us from external. That's that's it. That's it. And and um, that's a wonderful that's a wonderful way to close out of this. And that and you said it so beautifully. If we don't heal ourselves, you know, we can't. Nobody's coming to save us. And I will say this, that what I've learned in my 49 years of being in this world is that I know, years. right? <laughs> wow. So I didn't know you're going to increase your age for this process, but go ahead. I know, <laughs> I know, right? But um, what I have learned is that, you know, just like I said a few minutes ago, we had no control over our history in terms of things that happened before us, but we have full control over our destiny. Mm, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful, we have that's, full that's control that's over our destiny. Statement that can really be an affirmation for everybody that you don't have control of the history because it's, it's seemingly past, but you can live there and find yourself dysfunctional living there because why? Because you're back there when you can't be in the moment and the present, which is really what your destiny is, where you are. And where you are can allow you to spiral and to propel yourself into never again, as it is stated, that you have to repeat that history because we have to break the cycle of pain. So you said about, yeah, we have to determine what we're going to do. And you said our behavior. And I wanted to say further that when we talk about savior, our behavior is our savior. That's what's, yes. going to, that, that's what's going to contain us and to make sure that we have the capacity to remain on this planet. There are those who really want, don't want you to be present on this, on this plane. And, oh, I'm sorry. You, you, you no, no, so go right. ahead. Go no, ahead. Absolutely. You're right. And to add to that, when people benefit from your brokenness, mm. they don't want to see you healed. Healing for them is like the system in which we live, you know, even the medical system that we rely upon and we go and we invest a lot of our energy and money into, by and large, you know, you go in sick, you come out sick. You go in sick, you might not come out at all, you know, and then it's very rare that you come out of there with some type of new life that's more invigorating, and except for the fact that you may be now enslaved to, 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 to pharmaceuticals. <laughs> yes, so, and then, of course, that's a business decision, right? Because when we go into these places, that's a bit, you're a customer. I had to, I, I, I know you, have, you, say you want to close out, but I had to undo task of dealing with my mother in that system, my father as well. And, 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 and the idea that when you go in a system, then you are now beholden unto them and they, you can't tell them anything, which is a mindset. We believe that, but it's the same thing as any other, any other business. You're the customer. The customer makes a decision as to what kind of treatment you're going to allow. You don't get dictated to. You don't let them tell you what you're going to do. They don't tell you to come leave, leave the room because I'm giving They can it. give you advice. They can advise. They can make a you suggestion. There you go. But see, that's the, that's the whole thing about power, though, Chanel, yes. is yes. that we're so disempowered. We believe that because the place is so intimidating, right? You got these, these Byzantine walls and, you know, these marble floors and all this money is, is put into keeping you to believe that this is the official <laughs> medical uh, decision for your life. And it really isn't. It really isn't. You know, they can diagnose and then you can determine what you want to do with the diagnosis and you pay them for that service of diagnosis. But they don't make the determination that you're going to be my permanent customer where I'm going to keep you coming back and forth right. with no real system of, 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 a, of, a, of, a, of a treatment that can make you independent of me. 
You see, and, and it sounds kind of sinister if they hear it like that. But yeah, there are things you want to go in there for. If you get a laceration, you just, you know, you want to go kiss something and get sold up. That's one thing. But when Absolutely. it comes to those chronic diseases, which I may also give you the overload of what I, what I do with that, because my main thing is that I'm always spoke about making peace with your parents. That's one of my, you know, campaigns, right? As your mission is the administration, yes. mine is to make peace with your parents. And people think that's an objectified um, a mission. That's a we subjective. Need to go deep on that, yes. It's subjective. And that means that if you really truly love yourself, love your parents as those who provide you access, regardless of whatever comes up based on their lack of support or their abuse, whatever, that, that's notwithstanding. No attachments to that. Yeah, because the reality is that you wouldn't have a body without that contribution. I'm not saying that you give a pass or you're vindicating them or they're absolving them. You don't have the power to do that either. You know what I'm saying? Because the universe takes care of everything in perfect balance. Everyone's going to account for whatever their behavior was, and that's what they're going to have to deal with. You don't have any attachment, as you just stated, to that, but your attachment is to yourself as the complete embodiment of those two chromosomes, 43, 46, 23 by two, that you are now sitting in the chemistry of. And what your thoughts about that is a subjective, not, I can say I hate my father all day long without that being translated into hating half of myself. Absolutely. How can that help me develop in a healthy way? And it may sound, oh, I just remember jumble. It's real it's when you start real. to think about it because you're not, I don't mean, I don't say you have to go run and find them, dig them out of the grave and say, I forgive you, I love you, you know, no. You're loving yourself as them unconditionally because you are them together forever, right? So the, 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 the divorce or the dividing of the force that happened within the context of your social upbringing is the fact that how much do I love myself as them to support them and knowing that I'm going to be them together forever and I'm giving them the opportunity to be healthy as me. And this is part of what my mental uh, uh, clearing is, my mental health represents Yes, okay. that is so, that is so, good. So, bring me back for that discussion. So I, listen, <laughs> I'm going to hold you to it because um, as you were talking and speaking of that, two people popped in my mind. Um, I, I'll share a quick story with you. Mm-hmm. A young man who I mentored years ago sent me a message about two months ago and on Facebook. And I hadn't talked with him. He's actually a relative, but I hadn't seen him in years. But I used to mentor him. Anywho, he lives in Philly now. He started a mentor program, a mentorship program. And he reached out to me. And it was really, it was, it was a blessing to hear from him and to hear what he had to say. And it was really, honestly, a conversation that I had forgotten about. But um, he, he reached out to me because he wanted to thank me for something he said, I said to him when he was struggling with his dad being in prison. And it was such a beautiful text. I saved it. And I said, wow, I'm going to always remember this because, and, and it's funny when he brought it up to me, I said, wow, that's, that's something because I just spoke to someone about this very subject. Like that same week, I had just mentored someone mm. on this subject about so it was pain. A synchronicity, right? A synchronicity, right? Yeah. Yes, pain with his father. And it was almost word for word, what I shared with him. And I said to him, it was really about, uh, he was he was in a lot of pain and he was really resentful of his dad for not being there. His dad had been incarcerated. And, you know, the, the, the common story that's in the hood. And I shared some wisdom with him about that and just how, you know, 
could have been a blessing that he was not there in terms of. Oh man, thank you. And and I'm saying to you, we don't know the impact that we have on on anybody. And that's why we have to be guarded with our wisdom. Make sure that you respond in a way that's responsible. And that allows you to be able to know that any moment somebody can be impacted by your sense of sensibility, right? Because sometimes we're so insensitive and because our own pain comes into play, we may even encourage them, no, the hell with him here, there, your father, he left you. It's a huge responsibility. Oh, man, it's major. But this goes back to maybe coming full circle to your talk about how do we deal with the, 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 the violence that we have on ourselves. The man, black men on black men or men on men or whatever the case may be, is going back to what you're saying, that we think that the idealism is, oh, well, my father was a man, you know, that's why you use the victim story to, to justify your dysfunctional behavior. But when your father... Today's episode is sponsored by In Child Molestation, Inc., a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to combat child sexual abuse through education and empowerment. Now being there, you don't know their story. And because we're so desensitized and we're so insensitive to the fact that we don't even know our parents' story. Right. How many times do we find out what was going on with you that you would think that it's not okay to be right, with you? Right, right, you know, right. and, and what would make you feel good about that? Because no one naturally, no family naturally doesn't want to be with their father Indeed. or be with their children or be with in the context of that which supports you know, a stable homestead. Because we think about the things about what we watch on TV and we watch too much damn TV to then now use the interpretation of real life. But as you said, and this is the important key thing you just stated, that you don't know what he could have been there for you. And I'm saying you don't have to even speculate about that because his absence may be, your, may be the best thing that happened to you versus him being there and being maybe dysfunctional and disruptive to your very development. Absolutely. It was perfect in its timing because that same week there was something going on in the news where this young brother, a rapper, I don't even remember the rapper's name, but it was that same week and he was killed somewhere in California. And when they caught the guy who killed him, it was a father dad duo. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine? It was a father. The dad drove the getaway car. Wow. The son went in and robbed this young man. All black men, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that? It, it's yeah. it's deep, it's you know. It's amazing how they collaborated on such and such a heinous crime. And I use that as an example. And and he he said, "Wow, I didn't even know that." I said, "Yeah, go look it up." And and he sent me a message the next day, and he was like, "Wow." He was like, "I didn't even know that." I said, "This is a clear, a clear example of what I meant." when I said to you, his example in, because of where he was mm-hmm. in his life and on his journey in that season, his example could have been more damaging to you than his absence. You don't know. And I'm saying to you, I think it's, I think it's also, it's just, it's, 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 I think that it may be irresponsible or disingenuous to tell somebody that, you know, well, no, 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 let me say it like this, because I want to make sure I don't want to confuse this too. Yeah, because what is is, you know, if you don't have a parent there and you don't have a parent there, you can't undo that. You can't change that story, make it something that is not, right? But if you have the parent there, because mostly you'd be surprised how many parents present have more problems and dysfunction than the parents absent. This whole idea that that's an idealism that, you know, we put on the rise so, oh yeah, you know, the you know, the 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 level of coming together as a collective family, father, mother, daughter, whatever son, it's highly society in which we live in a society that doesn't support 
the sustainability of village community interaction interchange. But when we talk about the standpoint, when you tell somebody the reason why you're this way because your father wasn't there, then you give the impression or give the notion that this is the way, it's, if, it, if you didn't have it, then you weren't gonna be able to do anything functional, which is not true because it's not an absolute. Absolutely. That's my point. If I'm underscoring anything, be, be mindful and be careful about, of absolutes. Yes. Because when we do absolutes, then we change the fabric of things that are flexible enough to know that we're never in a fixed state of anything. The universe right. and the creator has divinely planned. And I'm not saying to dismiss things that we know that are very out of egregious and out of hand, because we can fix those things based on free will and choice, right? But, but when it comes to understanding when you're trying to help somebody develop them through it, you're all right, you're a nurse, you know therapy. You, I mean, you've been dealing with that for long as I've known you to know how to approach somebody and be careful and mindful. Mindful, absolutely. How you treat, right? Because if you treat them in a way that brings your own pain to such, because sometimes we say, well, you, let me tell you how, girl. And then before you know it. Right, and, I, and listen, I have, you know, I had a, I, I didn't have a, I had an unpleasurable experience with my father growing up. So I could have naturally Easily. said, you know, right. hey, you know, but, you know, I just, have grown or evolved to a, a space where I understand that right. that may not have been in my best interest. <laughs> you no, know? no, no, it's clear. In terms of my growth and development. It's clear. You because know? you're saying your father and your mother, whoever, those, they taught you just the same, what not to do. That's Absolutely. a valuable lesson too. That's, that's a, a valuable value. And, and, that, and that's exactly what I was saying to him. I said, listen, now you have a you have clear examples of things not to do with your children. You have clear right. examples. And so I'm so happy that you you brought that up because I definitely want to have a conversation with you. And I, I'd love to uh, invite those two brothers to come and have a conversation with us and, and with you, with you know, because the reason I the whole reason for me wanting to um, connect with five brothers. I actually host a group shortly on Sundays at five o'clock with women. Mm-hmm. It's about 25 women in a group. Oh, yes. And this is not a subject I necessarily want to talk about with them. They're mm-hmm. women. I wanted to speak with black brothers, black men about black men, <laughs> about what do you think the solution should be? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's really important for, for brothers to have um, we need a sense of community. I think that is what's needed in days like this, particularly for Black brothers. Right. And I want to, I know but, you- but, but, but when you also say, you know, given that scenario and given that example, is that what happens? I right? say, for example, when the whole uh, school gets shot up or like I was told my earlier, you know, they they bring in, bring in all the experts to help work people through that trauma. The same way we look at the, uh, the system and the police and what they have been doing, who knows, from time and now, they've been doing the same thing. Now we look at it from a standpoint of our own doing it to each other, which we still lose the sight of that we're talking about the level of systemic racism that even affects those of us who have the appearance of, of color or hue or dominance of melanin. You know what I'm saying? We get caught up in this idea that there's some kind of uh, 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 uniqueness around things that happen to no, we right. know what the what the level of that what it has done, and so therefore it's traumatic. That's why I was resistant to looking at it, even though I'm at a level of my own consciousness that I can look. Yeah, at I it have no desire to look. I at can it work, at but why yeah. I want to see what I've been seeing? I yeah. know how it looks. I know yeah. what it looks like. Well, okay, this is one of the things I want to say. I'm glad we brought it back to that because remember, 
if you watch any of, of those those crime stories, whatever, and they do the forensics on it, and it depended on the extent or the extreme of the of the violence or whatever happened with the brutality, they talk about how personal. Right? If you stab somebody once, it's one thing. Stabbing them 40 times, right. it's a personal thing. It's a lot of personal. It's, it's, you, you don't keep doing it, you know. Unless you, know, <laughs> you, you, you say, you, you say, crimes um, of passion, they call them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Crimes yeah. of passion. Yeah. Yeah, but you, and and, and you, you said the word outrage. I want to say the word enraged. Mm-hmm. You yes. see, which is the same thing. It has its, its correlation, right? That you know, the that enraged then is yeah, outwardly displayed. Yeah. There you yes. go. Yes. Right? Yes. And then yes. we have this thing that is outrageous. To watch such yes. a thing happen, to watch these things unfold before our very eyes, to show how deeply seated is the racism and the level of bigotry that we have around what we represent for the society in which we live. And it's not just about the dominance of our melanin. It's a mindset. And the camaraderie that we don't no, no longer have, or we don't have this, this instance or instances of that, because I don't want to get absolutes is very is dangerous, right? So there's pockets in, of that which needs to be um, transformed into us being able to have a dialogue that speaks to the rationalization of things as opposed to coming to a conclusion that this is the way it is and that right. we are always being killed. And I'm saying we are being killed. There are those, but we're not being killed to the degree that we are absolutely say that we are being killed because you and I wouldn't be here now. But there are cases where it happens where we have to respond mm-hmm. that it is unacceptable to take out any kind of rage, whether you be in a melanin dominant skin or melanin recessive skin, or but in the context that we call blue lives, but they call this idea around what you wear as a uniform. You wasn't born with no uniform on as blue. You were born in a, a place of your own natural affinity to be humane and to be able to use that humanity. How could you be in a collective of five men? You said five, you wanted five men. With how significant it is that you said, I want five black men to speak to what it is about black men killing. Because you want to give another perspective of saying that every, every black man is not killing every black man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I understand the rationale why you decided to do it in that way. But how can they sit there and all be okay with this level of intense brutality of the anger that you have around being disempowered? That is the point. You know, that is the point because, you know, they all had to be on one accord in mindset. How can you be so, how can you, well, I say that rhetorically speaking, and maybe not. How can you be in a crowd knowing that you keep doing it, you're doing it, and I I don't know how it looks. I I can imagine, because you know what, I always say I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a historian. If you know history, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist because you got reference points. <laughs> right. right. So you don't have to see how it's a theory by theory. You have no. receipts, as no, they say, absolutely. right? Absolutely. I would right. I would give you an opportunity to see what we know is to be uh, a reality and what the potential of that type of insidiousness that happens on the regular. So you have to say, oh, maybe it was a conspiracy. And then my theory is no, the reality is that we have historical reference points, you can go and point to it. And therefore, you know that the capability of it happening again is very well and very probable. But when it comes to understanding the, the dialect uh, of our capacity to become, uh, if you will, uh, uh, compassionate, there you go, this is the word, to be compassionate is to be, as the word implies, a compass, which is the root of the word compassionate, is to be a directional force to guide someone. 
I mean, there's sympathy. You can have sympathy with who the net is also a guy because of the path in that, right? Sympathy. And you can feel sorry for somebody because you know it's a terrible thing to have somebody die in that, in that force, in that sense. Now, you can also have empathy. You can say, oh, yeah, I, could. I, I know when it happened. I can identify with it, right? Empathy is another path. But the only thing that really gives us any guidance to get to a destiny versus the history is being able to have a compass and to be the one, what they call is uh, the good Samaritan, you know, to help one move along on the path or their journey by pouring in the, into their into their head, you know, the, the, the bomb of healing so they can move forward and there's no attachment to them. No, no, no codependent sympathy and no codependent empathy. But you have that, but you have a compass or compassion to move them to come to pass out on, move them forward. Yeah. Huh? How's that? Huh? That is it. That is it. That's the mic. That's the mic drop right there. <laughs> I thank you for showing up, uh, Brother Shabazz. It has been an honor oh, and man, an immense pleasure. And I look forward to my time with you again tonight, tonight on your midnight. program at right, midnight. Yeah. I will yeah. be there. And um, again, this is the honorable, the legendary Wani Shabazz. Be careful that. Be careful that. <laughs> Who much is given, much is expected. So I okay. want you to and I, a little bit. <laughs> listen, and it has been an honor to have um, him and Brother Brian. I don't know. I, I don't know if his phone. We lost him mm-hmm. at some point, but thank you for showing up and being a part of this anytime. discussion. You know, I'm here for you, sis. Anytime you have anything you want to provide, opportunities for such a wonderful discussion, and because you have been doing some beautiful work, which I again I want to emphasize that tonight we're going to share, go deeper. It's going to be my time. We're going to turn the tables on you. Yes, my turn again to get you to talk more about what you represent, and I I, I, I love your humility. And even your modesty, because, you know, a lot of times, you know, we get on these platforms and, you know, we want to be grandiose about it, but it's okay to do that in the in the context of being able to say that we have to give credibility to what we represent. But you are very credible and you have the credits of what you have been doing. And really, truly, it's a very uh, uh, poorly or minimally spoken topic. And, and, and I'm telling you, because I myself, it was in the context of my own family structure, I have experienced of that and know what it can be and know those who are still suffering as you as you say internal suffering because they need that level of therapy to move them past those areas of their trauma because we don't want to minimize and say oh you should get over it don't be a victim no we're not saying that we're saying that what what are you doing to help yourself work through that and oftentimes as you have proven the way you do that is become uh, have a mission within the context of that. And you're going to share more about that tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and finding purpose, like you said, purpose is everything because you know, everybody's path is different. It may not be for someone who has been abused to start an organization and to do advocacy work there. They may be called uh, to do something in a different way or to use their life um, in a, it, it, to serve, because I believe it's all about service. They may be called to use their lives to serve in a different way, but what we don't want to do is to build an identity off of something that happened to you, you know, off of uh, off of a painful experience. And that's what um, I see happening, and which is why it has kept me on this journey. So thank you for- um, So did it happen for you? It, it, happened it happened for me. Absolutely. Yeah, it happened right. for me. Like I'm Absolutely. nobody's victim. Listen, yeah. I believe that, you know, I was chosen for a time such as this. I really believe that, you Absolutely. know, I believe well, yeah, everything. You don't have to believe it. 
You already know that that's yeah. Believe me, it's a it, doubt that it yeah. exists, and you're not sure how to get reference to it. You're living it. You know I'm it. Living, I'm not saying I know that the, it. I know the word belief is a nice one we put in there and seems like it fits, but sometimes it's a denial of the reality of what you're right. Doing. You're right. And you know it. You know it. I he, know it. Hey, what did Bob Marley say? Him who feels it knows it. I know it. I know it. I feel Absolutely. it. I, think, I, think I see it, decree it, and be it. Ah, so <laughs> I love it. I, love it. I, was, I was gonna tell the brother who was with us. His name is what? Brian. What's his full name? Brian Ellison. So he's the last word in your beard. Yes. <laughs> As oh. So I was, so I was going to point that out when I heard you first say, I said, oh, okay, that's why he's here. Oh, <laughs> I have to say that to him. <laughs> well, so, thank you again, Baba Wanik. And I will you. see you uh, at midnight. Absolutely. Thank you, sis. All right. Much love to you. Much love. All right. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to See It, Decree It, Be It, the podcast hosted by me, your girl, Chanel Swain. It has been an honor and a privilege to serve you. And I look forward to having conversations like this every Monday and Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you Friday.